Hello, welcome to Talks at Brickstone, your one-stop podcast for research, insights, and interviews on thought leadership issues related to Africa's infrastructure, built environment, and natural environment. I'm your host, Femi Aufala. Today's episode is in two parts, A and B. You're about to listen to part B. If you haven't listened to part A, kindly go back listen and return. So, more now into the lenders or let me say the financiers. Um, so, you have mentioned that you know, a ship could be financed self by itself or you could finance it through um, your, your lenders or investors or financiers or you could also finance it through like the supplier's credit thing because it's also a form of financing in a way but typically um, Nigerian banks in the past have been known to finance vessels um, we don't see a number of offshore um, jack-up weights or, or seagoing vessels that were financed um, in the 2010 2012 um, some of them have been indebted Maybe they've not been able to. The sponsors have not been able to, you know, meet the obligations that are twenty in terms of debt service. For these lenders, I mean, what are their, what first of all, what should they be looking out for, and what are their fallback options? You know, in terms of, um, I'm a bank. I'm not interested in shipping, but you know, I have to see this guy ship. He has refused to pay. But being a lawyer and a commercial person, um, what kind of resolution mechanisms? Are basically available to, to get the ship back to work or to bring in a third party operator you know to get a contract and things i mean what, what do you think I, I think for me personally um having done work for banks as well as um, ship owners shipping transcends just the assets which is a mistake uh, I won't say mistake, the perspective that most banks look at from a credit perspective. For when they actually are setting and designing the credit to lend, um, the vessel is only as good as its managers. If you don't, so you need to have identify the borrower, what's the borrower's uh, business plan? Okay. What is their maintenance program? Okay. What is their staff welfare program? These things are very important. For instance, you need to find out what kind of business would this vessel be used for? What's the market outlay? Is it a saturated market? What gives you a better uh, edge above everybody else? What plans do you have for insurance? What kind of PI club are you looking at? Ultimately, Who's going to manage the vessel? Is it going to be managed? Are you going to hire your own crew directly or are you going to have a ship manager outsourced to deal with this? If it's a ship manager, what's the ship manager's reputation in the industry? And more importantly, how do you take care of your crew? Um, the crew are the ones on board the vessel. If they're not happy, they can also just pour salt in the engine and that's the end of it. <laughs> so you need to have all this things in perspective. Maintenance is also, as a Nigerian point of view, you need to also have a proper maintenance program. There's what they call dry dock, which is every five years. Okay. They're not cheap. So, what plans 
would that person have in place for that vessel? And what amount of money are they going to be putting aside to actually fund that, that uh, program, that retired working program? That aside, the typical thing a lender looks at is the amount you want it for, what you want to do for. If you want to, if you are taking the new vessel, the technology you finance, either you want to use to acquire a vessel or you want to use it as collateral for something you want to invest in. But for those of this, I just limited to just vessel acquisition. You need to look at the, or the bank, look at the underlying uh, MOA, MOA okay. acquisition. Because what we've seen in experience is that I go and identify a vessel I want to buy. Say five million dollars. Ten percent is required to put as deposit. Correct. I put the deposit down, or I commit to put the deposit down. Say within four days. Okay. Have I spoken to my bank to find out that the money is to be transferred to a bank in China? How long does it take my bank to transfer money to China? It takes them three days. I tell my client we have to fight for seven days. You need to have a buffer. Because once you miss that agreed timeline, and it becomes a breach. Okay. If the seller doesn't want to amend, because parties can agree and amend their agreement and say, okay, we extend the timeline. So it's things like this that we've seen instances whereby um, the bank needs to be carried along in every vessel acquisition negotiation. You can negotiate your MOA. Totally conditionally subject to verification for things like board approval and my bank to review it. You need to have the bank, bank needs to look at it, bank needs to look at what insurance programs for the vessel. They need to identify the eligibility and see what the nest of the vessel. So that's inspection that was mentioned earlier on. They look at inspection report, verify it, and they're happy with the state of the vessel. They're happy with what you plan. So if you're importing a new vessel, you have funds for paying for an import duty. It's a huge sum of money. Right. You know what it is? It could be between 20% to 25% of the purchase price. So it's a huge cost. And all the more importantly, what is the tenor? Nigerian banks have been known to give short term tenors for financing. It's, in my opinion, um, it's not sustainable because internationally, with the big shipping companies, countries around the world, Typical tenors for second hand vessels run for four to ten years and up to twelve years for new build. So if you're doing a three-year, five-year financing for a new build for second hand vessel, that's the facility you are looking to restructure exactly. or even default <laughs> down the road. That's true. That's so true. we need to be mindful of this. But I also understand the banks are constrained by the CBN requirements for what they can do. But um, the master, as I understand, has also picked up on this and they're currently speaking to Central Bank to try and get banks to make available single digit dollar financing. Because internationally, that is what the people are competing with. Yeah. They're getting single digit. Yeah. So any country that wants to develop shipping must have a constructive shipping policy such as this. The CBN must also allow banks to give up to at least seven, ten years ago. NCDMB, because of things, because of that, the usual argument to the banks was always that the underlying contract by the IOCs was two, three years. So, Local Content Board has now started ensuring that five to seven year tenant contracts are being given. 
so that it can match the underlying, underlying funding, funding for itself. Correct. Thank you so much for this. Um, now, apart from lenders, I mean, we always talk about this private market of private equity and um, also having private investors. Um, in what ways could, could non-financial or non-bank financial institutions take part in the in the shipping market, especially from the supplier credit you mentioned? Or because I've, I've found cases where a supplier credit is issued and, we, and on the back of that a bond is also issued because as the lender repays, you know, sorry, as the ship buyer repays the supplier credit um, issuer, so to say, um, they, they can transfer that money also into a bond program where the coupon payment now becomes the source of um, income for the for the bondholders. So I just wanted to know, are there any ways where you know the private market could play in, in ship finance? Well, um, in the last couple of years internationally, we've had a lot of private equity going to shipping because traditional banks, German banks, uh, were all scaling back and pulling out from shipping. They were all burnt. Um, there's still growth, speaking from Nigerian perspective. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the what we call the oil and gas sector. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, um, oil and gas sector is heavily dependent on shipping. The rigs, the vessels you use are all vessels, our ships. Now, the local content board has taken the boats by the one and created an enabling environment for contracts to be given out to Nigerian uh, companies on the back of the Local Content Act. Okay. The Local Content Act itself recognizes the Cabotage Act, which limits um, trade within Nigerian waters, which happens to be where the oil and gas assets are, Correct. to only Nigerian owned vessels, Nigerian built vessels, Nigerian crude vessels, and the four heads are forgotten the fourth one. But more importantly, private equity, in my opinion, can actually set up vehicles, okay. acquire these assets, and act as leasing companies. Okay. Because everybody may not actually want to buy. That's true. So Just like the airlines. Airlines. Yeah. So if they're able to set up vehicles to acquire vessels and then lease them. So that means they have to identify the off-takers and what they require and not just buy vessels that are not required. Yeah. yeah. And it also funds directly its oil and gas companies that require vessels. That's true. So there was a time that there was this um, energy sector fund it was by a bank called FS, FSB. It's from a, it's now merged into Fidelity Bank okay. and things like that. And the whole strategy then was that, you know, um, let's find out what the IOCs need in terms of their drilling program. And they need these kind of vessels and things. And we go to the shipyard and say, okay, Samsung, you know, Shell, Chevron, and blah, blah, blah. They need these type of vessels. Um, is it, does it meet your requirements in your procurement tendering such that we as pre-investors could go pay for those, um, for those construction? And by the time your drilling program gets to this point, we can say that, oh, these ships are ready for tendering and, you know, any of your contractors could come lease it from us and things like that. Um, the other part which is also of concern is uh, is in the downstream industry in the oil and gas. Today, 
Nigeria complains, I mean, NMPC does a lot of um, movement of, of petroleum products. There are also downstream companies that move products around. Um, we also noticed that a number of foreign traders like Vital or Trafigura and things, they also bring um, goods or petroleum products to Nigeria. Um, how can local um, the local shipping market take advantage of these trade volumes that happen, but this also happen with international shipping companies? Well, you need to understand the um, dynamics of the downstream. You, you need to, uh, to understand what is required to understand the dynamics of the downstream. Okay, so Nigeria exports are approved. Yeah. And NMPC has what we call swap programs with international trading houses like Vitor, Moko, that they give them crude oil and they ask them to bring refined products back. On the other hand, these trading companies also, some Nigerians play, one of them in Nigeria play in that space as well. They take crude oil and they bring back refined products. On the other hand, this, some of these international oil traders also now sell directly to other players. Yes. Now, our waters in Lagos and environments and the drafts is not deep enough. For so, the, so the mother vessels cannot come into our, 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 our port sites to actually go to the tank farms and things to actually discharge directly. Yeah. That's why you have them stopping offshore Lagos, offshore Cotino, offshore base to wait there. And then you have shuttle vessels between 5,000, 10,000 went back and forth metric tons to lighter these products. That's a lucrative market. That falls within our cabotage up until our territorial waters with cabotage controls. But the challenge is you have a lot of foreign vessels also doing the cabotage trade. Because Cabotage Act, once it says it must be Nigerian owned vessel, makes provisions for licensing, which is a it was something that we understand was snorking when the act was being done. But it's there. Okay. So, over 10, 12 years down the road, we're still having licenses. Nimasa recently, I think at a forum I was a few months ago, stated that they're going to stop granting cabotage waivers okay. to allow these vessels to come in. Okay. Also, what we also notice is that the cost of lending, Nigerian dollar lending, is double digits. That's so true. Nigerians cannot actually acquire the vessels to compete at critical So we also don't have enough of, and more importantly, what you have to understand is, let me just step back a bit, is that once the model vessels have requirements under the insurance for specific kind of vessels to be able to come and lighter from them. Okay, for safety reasons. For safety reasons. Okay. Because if the vessel does not meet safety requirements, the insurance will not kick in if there's any damage or any pollution oh. or any explosion. Now most of our vessels, not all yeah. don't meet those requirements. Okay. So you end up having the NMPC oil traders are forced to use the so-called foreign-owned vessels that are more expensive or a better shape and things like that. Also, the reality is that from a structuring perspective, it's also not realistic sometimes to have Nigerian-owned vessels conduct this trade. And I explained to you why. If I need to lend from lend money to acquire a vessel and I'm, I have a foreign lender that is about to give me good interest rates and insist that 
he wants me to have a foreign flag because of for security purposes, you can take the mortgage and things of that nature. So I have a foreign flag, I set up an SPV that owns the vessel, put it in. From cost perspective, it was going to cost me between 15 to 25% to do import duty. Yeah. I can do what they call a temporary importation permit. Okay. A temporary okay, importation permit, I don't have to part with any money. All I do is I provide security in the region of the the value of duty and the paid yeah. as security through a bank to customs and I come and trade. They give me a one-year permit extendable by two six-month extensions, two years, then I go out of the country. So you can see that the cost of acquiring a Nigerian vessel to run a tanker shuttle, which I cannot determine the, um, I cannot calculate the uh, cash flow yeah unlike an offshore oil and gas and I'm very sure yes because that one I have a day rate correct I know it's over a contract period of time yeah unlike the downstream markets apart from the big traders like Sahara that takes people who take vessels for maybe six months one year time charters not payable just time charters yeah. just tell you they can use it most people are just on sports yeah so the risk yeah. Volatility is, is more is more the downstream. So there's so many factors involved in downstream that That's true. government needs to look at it. If they really, really want to support cabotage, constructive uh, policies have to be put in place to support. There's this also issue of, of free on board that has been debated. Can you share more light on that? Where they're talking that when you want to when Nigerian crude is being exported, mm. is exported as um, I forgot the second version of free on board CIF. What's the debate around that? Well, free on board is a FOB is essentially saying that I'm selling my product to you. you come and pick it up by yourself. By yourself. Okay. CIF is cost insurance and freight. So I'm the, selling my product to you, you plus I, I will deliver it to you. Okay, so that means so you are paying me for the cost of freighting it, the insurance, and the product. So that will create a market for Nigerian vessels to help NMPC move it. Yeah, as overseas. well as yeah, as well as the insurance market. That's why we're not doing it. But the yeah, Nigeria is one. Of the, if I I will use my words carefully, I think one of the few countries in the world that sells its product good or FOB. Oh. But it, it's also. The vessels you require to know these products are very expensive. Yeah. But not unsurmountable. Nigerians cannot acquire them. Correct. Because it's a bankable transaction. Because to me, you're already a buyer. NMPC is selling crude. I mean, and there's already a price for the charter. It's, it's a done deal. Yeah, but you look at it that way. Um, whilst I believe that it's something we should look into it, it's also going to be a costly exercise because you, you will have Nigerian owned vessels. They take the product from here to Panama. Correct. And they take drop it off and they come back empty. That's true. Yes, it was. So then the cost of that freight element will be more expensive than okay. for the current shuttle owners that call foreign owned ones that come in and probably have products that are picking on different routes. Well, that's a private sector problem. It's a, it's a problem for the private sector person to solve. Yeah. If NMPC says that you know, for you to participate on this deal, 
this is my my trade my um, transfer fee per kg and that's it so it might mean that you now have to partner with associations so it doesn't mean that it will be nigerian owned vessels but at least nigerians will be 80 percent or 60 percent owners of that fleet of ship so to say yeah but the the, the success story is energy energy owns some fleet of vessels okay that's, that's true that's transports its gas gas to finance Asia. out of uh, out of Nigeria, so the vessels are special purpose vehicles in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they are designed, they are funded to actually do an LNG. An LNG sells staff. That's true. So it's government needs to. They are, they are what do you call it? There are discussions in that direction. Correct, correct. I know the Ship Owners Association of Nigeria are trying to set up. Uh, and to also go back to long term financing because those kind of transactions may be able to match like a 10-year contract to say okay you know what you can you can use your own vessel but at least for my lenders they can see that okay you know it's the optical is a credit worthy is you know is the government of the country and things okay thank you so much for this um lastly we'll just talk about this issue of nigerian flag vessels um it's always been debated that you know um, Nimasa, you know, objective is to ensure that we have more Nigerian vessels as one of their key requirements. And why are people not doing it? Yes, it gave me one example, but what should be the motivation for this? Well, it's um, I just point out briefly, like I mentioned, capital trade is uh, restriction of trading within Nigerian territorial waters. It's restricted for Nigerian vessels. That's an advantage of why you should have a Nigerian flag. The Local Content Act also, which provides that the capital that must be enforced. And if you're a Nigerian flag, you get what we call a higher rating of the Marine Vessel Utilization Scheme set up by the Local Content Board. That is essentially to say that if you're a Nigerian flag, you have a double A, okay. it should be considered for all contracts. It should be given the right funds to, 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 to make a bid for all contracts in the offshore and the gas industry. Those are the two major advantages, I would say, to have a Nigerian flag. Um, having said that, uh, arguably, the merits uh, issues of huge, uh, huge uh, import duty, which I mentioned before. Um, flag registration costs them today. To register an Nigerian flag vessel can take quite a number of time, weeks. So these things and um, compared to the flag of convenience and some of the foreign com- uh, registries can be done in days or hours. That's true. Um, the higher insurance costs by virtue of having Nigerian flag, certain insurers for war risk and things that can care right, to kick up. And more importantly, for the very few vessels that actually sail out of Nigeria out of Africa, they tend to have what we call higher scrutiny by the port state control states. So for example, you have what they call um, the blacklist, the grey list and the uh, whitelist. Okay. The whitelists are for countries with very efficient vessels. Okay. That's, so when you pull into any port in the world, a 
if you are, say, for a Norwegian flag vessel, the Norwegian standard of maintenance is very high, the flux station, so they won't really scrutinize everything too, too much. Um, like I said, outside Africa. But if you pull out into somewhere like, say, Paris with a Nigerian flag vessel, they wouldn't, they would probably come and scrutinize you more because they're the Nigerian inspectors are not so efficient. They won't verify the documents. So those are the common things. Okay. Well, although Nigeria is not on the blacklist anywhere, which is the okay. worst, but it's just the fact that we are not seen as being the most efficient flag of. But there are very few vessels that actually do international trade that will be affected in that direction. Okay. Um, just more now into this issue of. Um, let's just talk more about capital um, in terms of passenger vessels. So there have been a time when late President Yadua, you know, signed the bill to dredge the Niger Daily Port where we could have um, people move from Lagos through the, I think it's the Bonin Channel or Niger Delta Channel into the inner parts of Nigeria. I mean, that has not happened in itself, but what do you think are the potentials of, you know, vessels using, using uh, moving passengers and to help to you know easy transports you know cloth we have on the land and the rail or, or air today well it's a very uh, very important need um, i know a few days ago there's a at a forum i was that the governor of Lagos state this issue was spoken about that 20 30 years ago Talking about Lagos, Lagos is surrounded by water. It is um, it's sad that we are not able to take advantage of the water infrastructure, quote unquote, to alleviate traffic. Uh, about 30, 35 years ago, we had what they called Babakikiri, which was like a ferry service from the Kodu down to Marina. Mm -hmm. Now, and it was lifting at least 100 or 200 people. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, the government said it's one of the things that they're trying to look into. But at the end of the day, still private sector led. Yeah. We need to also look at it and see whether the indices make sense. And also to do that, the state has tried to provide infrastructure, they've developed um, terminals, terminals across all the places around the world. So I think it's just we need to walk towards it and find the necessary environment to actually do it. Uh, a few days ago, I think um, GoCada launched their G boats. Yes. They do move shuttle. So as long as we can find more bankable routes, things will come on board and we should actually encourage them. So, the reason why I pointed out that also is to, to first of our audience that are listening is that even though ship is being spoken about the, the big business and things, you know, the inland waterway market is also there and the various forms of acquisition you mentioned now, even though you're, you're getting a, a normal passenger ferry and things like that, they will still fall through, right? Yeah. The so, same, same, same rules and regulations for it. Yeah, same rules and regulations for it. It's, um, I think we would be hopeful that we'll see more ferry services within the next couple of years. Um, on the back of that, we also require the government to also drive up security. Yeah, that's true. Because you need to be secure and to map, to map the waterways 
as well as increase the capacity of the police to be able to deploy fast moving vessels to actually intercept anything and protect life and property and whatever it is. Maybe it's a helicopter, maybe some technical surveillance to monitor it. Because in places around the world, we have ferries being used enormously. People actually just driving 450 cars, park your car, you go to the upper deck and wait for your 20 30 minutes ride. Yeah. Or just enter the ferry and it just takes you from island to island. Increase it's very big. Um, it's in Singapore, Malaysia, the movements around there. And even in America, Staten Island to New York, it's, it's, it's a normal thing that like should alleviate it. And I think it's been encouraged, especially considering the amount of people that come through from Kodu. And you can find landing sites, maybe Yaba and things like that. And like you said, to move up the country down to Bonnie, need navigation as well as security to actually drive that. Okay, thank you, Mr. Alphon. Thank you so much for this. Um, it's really been an exciting session. It's really been insightful in terms of, you know, going through the whole issue of acquiring ships from, from oil and gas ships to, to cap the to passenger ships and any form of, like, maritime asset itself. Now, we didn't talk about dredgers because Although dredgers are being fabricated in Nigeria a lot, but there's still a lot of like um, dredging is being required in a number of coastal areas in Nigeria, and um, dredgers are also ships, right? Yeah. And even though they are fabricated locally, but I don't know whether the the shipbuilding contract model works with a shipyard that's building dredgers in Nigeria for for a local use, or he just pay your money and, and, and get my dredge. Well, having said that, uh, the jury, I will argue, some dredgers are ships by, by definition of the whatever, uh, by definition of the laws, some are not. Okay, because you know you have some land-based dredgers. Yes, yes, correct. For like swamp environment. No, that's they have some land. Land, okay. Yeah. But then you also have the the dredgers that do the dredging, like over. Um, Big channels and things like, like that. Like Atlantic, Atlantic and, and others. Or like um, dredging the channels for ports. Different to that bigger mm-hmm. uh, things. But sometimes what we tend to have are just flat badges that people just pop things and suck off on the floor. Okay. So the contract, yes, it may be, depends on how it's negotiated. But it's the how specialized dredger is also determined the level of documentation that will go into it. Yeah, I actually see some like gaps in the market because like, I feel Nigeria should have gotten to a point where we could assemble dredgers, you know, all by ourselves. Um, even though we have to maybe maybe buy the hull or whatever, and we should have companies that, even if they are located offshore, should because should come to Nigeria because look at the whole West Africa coast from Lagos to Calabar and move back up to Dakar and and and, um, and uh, Accra. All those areas are swampy, you know, they are, you know, coastal areas and the dredging market there is huge, you know. Um, now, thank you so much for this. Uh, is there any concluding remarks you would like to talk about before we round up the podcast? Well, um, I think the importance of shipping to Nigerian economy and the African economy cannot be overstated. Um, the need for government to actually put credible and sustainable policies and plans in place. Achievable is very, very kind of devastated as well. 
we need to stop paying lip service to want to do the grand things. We start from little, little acorns and go up in that direction. We need to have a clear policy as to determine, as to funding acquisition of marine assets. We need to have a clear policy as to issues of developing our shipping industry. The comment as to why we cannot import or build treasures in Nigeria. When you have to import the spare parts and finance Ministry of Finance and Customs is also just interested in revenue. Hmm. There's to be an harmonization of government policy that okay, we are waiving import duty for this material. Materials are more severe product. We are waiving or reducing drastically uh, import duty for vessel and vessel ships and ship parts. That's only with the aviation industry, they've done it. Or oh, we're waving VAT here, we're doing this. That's how you actually develop the parts. The CBN is extending and allowing parties to actually give five year, seven year contracts or 10 year contracts to fellas acquisition if they can see the need to be. But we can only grow it. Um, I think that's, we can't ever state, uh, over, uh, state it that without the shipping, we cannot grow the economy like the current president wants us to do. How do we export our agricultural produce? Right. It's down to even think an island port. They are moving empty containers with flat badges now. That's true. Go and find out that is it, but they don't have enough flat badges to actually move them. So they are doing six empty containers per trip. The market needs to be developed to actually reduce up. We are sizing trailers to move all these empty containers when we have waterways to move them to wherever you want to go to. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Wow, it's been an interesting one. Thank you so much. Um, it's really, really enlightening. And um, I think for this podcast, I mean, we'll get a number of reviews and things. And um, we'll leave your details at the bottom of the of the podcast itself. Um, thank you for listening. Um, please do share, subscribe, and also leave a review on whatever platform you are listening from. Um, Thank you once again. This is Talks at Brickstone. Wait for the next episode where we'll be talking to you more on issues related to Africa's infrastructure, built, and natural environment. I remain your host, Femi Aufala. Thank you.